Welcome to the Swaplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombas. I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassanen. And we are recording in Studio B in the city of New Orleans. <laughs> That's right. Because uh, Jazz Fest is currently happening like down the street from my house. Yeah. It's pretty loud. We went out yesterday to the we Jazz did. Fest. Saw Ed Sheeran. Yeah. So, a beautiful oh. day. We meant to watch, I want to say, about two or three Ed Sheeran songs, and we ended up watching his entire set. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did have two songs left, and we were like, okay. we listened to Shape of You, or whatever that, yeah, I yeah, think that's it. Yeah, got what I wanted. Yeah. Was and it fun? It was surprisingly solid. He was good. Yeah, yeah. cool. I liked when he was playing around on his loop pedal, and he yeah. was doing a, he did like a rap melody. Yeah, he started with fun. No Diggity. Yeah. <laughs> and he did a little bit of 50 Cent. Uh, Get everybody hyped. Yeah. It's cool. The loop pedal thing was what kind of drew me in. He was doing that whole like tune yard setup where he was like a one man band. Yeah. It's like he knows how to work a crowd, which is good. <laughs> there were a <laughs> lot did. of instructions. Though. Yeah. Like, I, he worked us for sure. Yeah. He's like, all right, this half, you're the oh, <laughs> you're God. the low melody or the low harmony. And this <laughs> half, you're the high harmony. Now repeat after me. It was like a lesson. A lot of assumptions that we knew more than two of his songs right. takes to be like, all right, everybody <laughs> sing the trumpet part. Right. I've never heard this song before in my life. <laughs> but the crowd didn't know the trumpet part yeah. very well. <laughs> we were also joking about the fact that he's like making more millions of dollars than like anyone who's not Taylor Swift and like deciding not to hire a full crew with like right. a backing band and like instead just like, I'll just play all the instruments myself wow. and keep all the money. Smart choice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we were going to do a music-themed episode, but since Jerry Springer passed, uh, we've decided to change our plans last minute. We're just going to talk about the Ringmaster a second time for this entire episode. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> Rest in peace, Jerry. Oh, shit. <laughs> so many people texted me, and I was like, wow, I'm that person, which is kind of complimentary, you know? Yeah. It is crazy how many people our age were raised on like coming home from school and watching Jerry Springer. Yeah. My stepdad texted me without context and said, sorry for your loss. And I had no idea what he was talking about for like a full minute. I was terrified. You can't do that. No. (laughs) Jerry is like our baby, our after school babysitter. (laughs) We actually did not rewatch The Ringmaster because that movie is not particularly good. But we did uh, (laughs) all come together recently and watch a equally offensive movie called The Suckling at my house. Uh, Yes. Uh, From 1990. It is a creature feature that I purchased in the lobby at the Overlook Film Fest mm. this year. Uh, the creature in question is an aborted fetus that gets dumped into the sewer below a brothel slash abortion clinic. And uh, some toxic waste strips on it from above, and it turns into the titular suckling, <laughs> which is a giant xenomorphic fanged creature that terrorizes all the prostitutes and abortion patients inside the home, first through the plumbing, and then uh, through bursting through the walls and just eating <laughs> their heads off one at a time. Yeah, really, it has like armor plating almost. It's like prehistoric looking and very mm-hmm. spiky, like epaulets. Uh, yeah, I thought it was it was thrilling. It was gooey. It was like a gross. Like, yeah, like a gooey flesh alien. Yeah. yeah, almost. I was really into it. Honestly, uh, it does that thing that like the cheapest horror movies can do sometimes, where because it's so cheap, it's almost like in this own little hermetic world. One of the suckling's vaguely defined powers is it can turn the house into a womb that no one can escape. Yeah. And uh, days and days go on where they're trapped <laughs> in there, and you kind of lose track of the world outside the house. It, it's like a they get skinnamarinked a little bit. Like yeah, it turns into uh, yeah. this like surreal 
fake space. Uh, right. I'm not going to lie. That was like kind of creepy for me. Yeah. It was like, you can't leave this house. And whenever you think you do, it gets worse. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're like, they're born into these new spaces that the suckling has kind of overtaken with, I don't know, like fabric and hair. <laughs> like the, the Yeah. Obviously, they had a limited number of locations they could use. Yeah. But I feel like they did use their resources to full effect. The politics are just as vaguely defined. Here. <laughs> it's like a pro-environmentalist anti-abortion right. movie. You don't see many of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, what else have y'all been watching besides the suckling and Ed Sheeran? <laughs> what a weird sentence. <laughs> the yeah. suckling of Ed Sheeran. Uh, something me and Hannah discovered recently, or I've been meaning to watch it for a while, but it's this movie called Bound by the Wachowski sisters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The movie they did before The Matrix it's got Gina Gershon and um, Jennifer Tilly as this like lesbian duo who hatched this scheme to rip off the mafia. And it's just like sexy, thrilling and violent and just like a nasty noir. And I like really, really enjoyed it. And I want to say I probably the best movie I've seen mm-hmm. from them as a director. I like The Matrix more but I get it. The Matrix is more iconic but yeah. as someone that loves noir this was such a good like grimy noir that had a lot of like kink and the like central lesbian relationship worked really well and it was very hot and I just thought it was like a really good modern noir. I, I kind of wish they would have done some more of these kind of movies. Uh, it seems like something that would have played on like HBO late at night and it, I had a blast with it. I thought it was really good. Yeah. And I could see the like kind of overflow from, or the, I could see the connection in aesthetic between the matrix and this movie. There's like a lot of ominous like brass and a lot of really fun shots, like watching a telephone conversation, like the voice of one person shuttle through the telephone line to the other person. There's this scene where this mafia guy has all this money soaked in blood and he has to clean it. And he like painstakingly washes all of the bills and hangs them up in the room on these clotheslines. So it's just like little like leaves of money. And he's like individually ironing each of them. I don't know, like really fun and playful visually. I watched this like a very long time ago and all I can remember is there was like some sort of like home repair stuff being done. Yeah. And lesbians and like wife beaters. That's Gina Gershon for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I'm thinking of because she was doing a lot of the repair work. You're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. She's like cleaning the pipes and she drinks beer and then you have Jennifer Tilly doing her like high femme. Right. High femme like kind of Marilyn Monroe-esque thing. And they just like are such a delicious pair together and watching them kind of go through the scheme of ripping off. Uh, it had a lot of like actually like on the edge of your seat thrilling mm-hmm. uh, moments. It's kind of cool to see an erotic thriller that's like about male sexual hangups instead of being one that's like an expression of those things. Yeah. Like it's like actually about Joey Pants's like grotesque view of sexuality and but not through his voice or perspective mm-hmm. whatsoever. Yeah, they're just like so over this yeah, guy. Yeah, it's like a non-factor almost. But he he is great too. Like his kind of overacting as the situation is escalating and, you know, he has a briefcase full of $2 million, but it's gone and he has to like pretend that it's there. Like, I don't know. I love that kind of high wire noir stuff. So this just like really did it 
for me. Like I said, The Matrix is probably the bigger cultural impact. But man, this was like a really delicious, fun, late night kind of watch. So I I really dug it. I wish they would have made more movies like this. Yeah, they've tried to make more movies like The Matrix. It does not work out. Yeah. (laughs) They can't recapture that magic. Um, So, Hannah, what have you been watching? Oh, I don't know. I've been watching some stuff. Um, Probably one of the best movies I've watched in the last two weeks was The Conversation, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola in 1974. Um, Gene Hackman plays this surveillance expert who's hired to record a couple's conversation in a crowded park. So he has like these three mics set up at different ranges and they're just kind of like constantly, this couple is moving around in a circle. So it's like a difficult assignment. And he starts to question the intentions of the person that hired him. He's trying to kind of figure out why they were being surveilled in the first place. And then he's afraid of what the consequences of his like of this job will be and there is a job like a political job that he performed before where his work like led to the murder of three other people so he's kind of like haunted by guilt and paranoia um, about his culpability in the possible murder that might come out of this new investigation and i thought it, it was it came out two years after Watergate, I think. So it's very much like in the realm of Nixon paranoia. And it was kind of frightening how relevant it is now. Like, like I thought of data, like the peop- the data that people give through like social media and just like online, your online presence and what people are doing with that information. Like it's, we're just kind of like shooting all of our personal lives into the ether. And this was just like, you know, in the 70s, like a precursor to all of that. And uh, Gene Hackman is great. He's very sweaty. He's like this kind of isolated dude with no strong relationships. Um, I don't know. I just I thought it was a super interesting movie. Very, very fun kind of thriller. Very twisty. So... I have seen this, but a long time ago. And this seems like a very you movie, actually. Yeah. I, and I really like it. And I decided to watch Marathon Man, mm-hmm. which came out around the same time, the Dustin Hoffman, very similar with the paranoia and the government spying on people. And I don't know. I think the 70s post Watergate was like a really good time period for those sort of yeah. thrillers of like government intrigue and surveillance and. Yeah, the, like you said, the paranoia. So those would make a great double feature, Marathon Man and The Conversation. Yeah. And Blow Up. Yeah, yeah. And Blow Out. And Blow Out. Yeah, yeah. No, and <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was definitely, out too. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of Blow Out while I was watching this. I think Blow Out is like, I mean, I just love Brian De Palma. Like, I think that movie is definitely more entertaining and punchy, but they really are kind of like working in the same realm. It's the only reason I haven't seen The Conversation. Cause yeah. Like, I'm not a huge Coppola person in general, but like if De Palma had directed, I'd be like, well, I know I'm going to see something <laughs> trashy in there, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think that there are a couple of scenes, like there's that scene in Blowout where he's surrounded by all of the erased tape and it's like spinning and spinning. And th- there's just this sense of like overwhelming 
exhaustion and frustration. And there are some scenes that get at that in the conversation as well, like some very cool representations of like just yourself being gutted. But to your point about the surveillance state, I think at that time period, it was an actual fear of like, oh my God, the government is watching us. And now in 2023, it's just accepted you know, there's all these like hearings about TikTok and but people are willingly giving up their information to the government and to private entities. So it's kind of weird to track like that initial paranoia. And now it's just kind of accepted that it is what yeah. it is. You know, I did go to the theater today and I saw something like somewhat relevant to this, which was uh, how to blow up a pipeline. Oh, you saw oh! It? oh yeah. it was which, good. It's an eco terrorist thriller uh, or an eco activist thriller, depending on your perspective. But like. <laughs> It's like a disparate group of people our age and slightly younger coming together as activists to, as the title says, blow up a pipeline without causing like a spill, but still disrupting the flow of oil for this company. Mm -hmm. And you see all these like flashbacks that sort of acts as a building the team montage afterwards. Um, It kind of reminded me a lot of Nocturama from uh, a few years ago that we really liked. But it's more of like uh, inspirational than Nocturama. Nocturama is very like nihilist towards the end. Uh, this one's like actually like maybe you should go out and blow up a pipeline too, <laughs> you know. But a lot of the um, tension in the movie is not getting caught. So like mm-hmm. every time they have a conversation about anything, they put their phones in fridges. Yeah. They put their phones in trash cans. They like smash their phones. Like they are trying to sidestep the surveillance state. Uh, and this is the from the same guy who made Cam, which is like a very paranoid about the internet yeah. uh, thriller. So like, even though this is a very tactile, like I have to handle these homemade explosives carefully so we don't all blow up on the way to the terrorist event kind of thriller, it still has that like looming surveillance state internet fear yeah. on top of that because that's just what life is like now. Right. Yeah. And I really respect that because... I feel like a lot of movies now, especially horror films and thrillers, will set their movies like 20, 30, 40 years in the past to have to avoid these problems. Like, you know, you couldn't do this because of cell phones or like a cell phone would solve this problem in like five minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, I really like that it feels up to date and like contemporary. Yeah. And I kind of roll my eyes every time I watch a new horror movie and it's like set in the 70s and looks like the 70s. And it's like, and I'm tired of watching variations in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Right. about so many horror movies where that in the plot where the phone line gets cut out. Right. Right. Oh my God, we can't call anyone. Like, all those plots are erased in modern society. It's like, well, I still have my cell phone. Right. Right. It's always just like, I don't have service for whatever reason. They still have to address it, yeah. Yeah. But at least in How to Blow Up a Pipeline, it's like a continuous problem. It's not like something they have to like check off so no one will ask questions about plot right, holes. Right, right, It's like always a concern on top of all the practical, you know, cool. please don't blow yourself up on the way to our activist. Which is <laughs> very like, what was that? Uh, wages of Fear. Sorcerer. Sor- yeah. 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 There's a lot of that <laughs> for sure. It's a good tense little thriller and it has like a lot of, I don't want to say dangerous, but like exciting political provocation in it as well. So uh, I recommend it if you like that kind of 70s paranoia thriller stuff, but want to see something a little more contemporary. So, Brittany, what have you been watching? I've watched um, Catherine Bigelow's Blue Steel. Love that movie. It's good. Yeah. 
That is a good trashy erotic question mark thriller. Bless Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. <laughs> but there's something that is so non-erotic about her that even when she tries, it just I just keep seeing the yogurt. I keep seeing the Activia yogurt <laughs> no matter what. Like that has changed yeah. her image. There's nothing sexier than a healthy gut, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. I want it rotten. Um, she's great in it, though. Well, she's um, this rookie cop. Who like is trigger happy and fucks up and kind of doesn't have the trust of her team and her the force that she's on. And there's this like psycho who's a serial killer that is totally obsessed and turned on by her and is both like trying to weasel his way into her life to be her love interest while at the same time like driving her nuts by like leaving these like bizarre little clues to be like you know come and catch me it's like cat and mouse but like the cat is like hanging out with the mouse doesn't you know? he like also turn the gun that she shot the person in with like into like a fetish object yes like he like steals her from the crime scene and he keeps like obsessing yes. over it it was so creepy like during the crime scene like the the gun from the guy that she shot flies on the floor and he's on the floor and he just like slowly grabs it and puts it in his like <laughs> suit and is like kind of smiling and smirking and i'm like what the fuck is this guy gonna do and then he starts like burying it in central park and then he like turns into this like I don't know, animalistic being. And he goes and he like digs in the dirt to try to find his like oh. hidden gun. It is wild. And there's a Jamie Lee Curtis sex scene, which is very exciting. And he's in the room while she's having sex. It's, oh, it's great. I guess when I said erotic, I was thinking of him. And like, <laughs> those like erotic thriller movies aren't yeah. usually sexy. It's like this like war of the sexes mm-hmm. stuff from the 80s and 90s where like, it's very combative, and the two of them like clash the against each other's tension. Is yeah. what I think is sexy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, you're right. It was good. Um, I didn't think I was gonna like a movie where there was like a the assumption it was gonna be about a sexy lady cop, but that wasn't what it was about. No. And I was under that assumption for years and years, and that's why I never watched <laughs> it. And then, um, it was like on Amazon Prime. It's like, hey, Brittany, we think you're gonna like this. I'm like, all right, whatever. I think it's one of her better movies, to be honest. Like, I I would put it up there oh, with, there like, Near Dark. Point Break, Near Dark. That might be it. Like, I don't know. Those are, like, the really, like, slick, beautiful ones. Those are the only movies from her that I really liked, to be honest, was, like, Point Break, Near Dark, and this. What was the one with Angela Bassett? Oh, that actually yeah. might be your best movie. I'm yeah. wrong. Strange Days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Strange okay. Days. Oh, I forgot oh, about Strange, Strange Days. days. Yeah. Yeah. Also wow. about police violence. Hell yeah. 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 So yeah, those are like, yeah, Strange Days is in that group as well. Like, yeah. The really slickly produced, like, beautiful objects mm-hmm. that are also, like, really violent and uncomfortable. Yeah. And have a lot of sexual assault stuff that she's working through on screen that's not fun to watch. But I don't know. It, like, works in that world that she builds. Yeah. Well, that's the end of uh, violence for the rest of this episode and, mm. like, shocking thrillers. Because we're talking about America's real sweetheart, Dolly Parton, for the rest of this episode. Last year around Jazz Fest, we did the Led Zeppelin concert documentary. Uh-huh. I kind of like this idea of like doing a music-focused film around this time of year every year. Yeah. This was not on purpose, by the way. It was just really good happenstance, but yeah, I like it. And everyone likes Dolly Parton, so yep. this will be a real mood lifter, I think. I think my main takeaway from this episode was that anybody who does not love Dolly Parton is out of their mind something's wrong right yeah. or you're just not, a dud yeah. yeah you're not the kind of person i want to hang out with <laughs> and i think that's a very strategically built yeah. reputation that she's kind of grown for the past half century yeah. she's, she's done a very good job of right 
producing her image yeah. and protecting yeah. it. I like fancy frilly things, high heel shoes and diamond rings, ragtime bands and western swing and sneaking around with you. Well, I like beer and rodeos, detective books and dominoes, football games and cheerios, and sneaking around with you. Sneaking around with you. I like lots of cash on hand and dirty jokes about the fuller brush man. I like stuff I understand, like sneaking around. Stuff? You know, I like a thrill that has no strings. Friendship that don't ever change. And laughter from the joy of things. And And sneaking sneaking around around with you. Sneaking around with you. Going around Doing what lovers do. Whatever they're sneaking around. When we got back from Jazz Fest yesterday, I was a little, uh, let's call it tired. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't focus on anything really. So I threw on this documentary on Netflix called Dolly Parton, Here I Am, which was basically like a Hallmark card in motion that was like Dolly Parton themed. So like there'd literally be just shots of like open fields with like nice script, like telling you what Dolly Parton songs charted when while she like narrated her career. Wow. And I was watching that realizing like she is a closed book. No one really knows much about her. And I think that's Mm -hmm. why she's like so popular is that she's very strategic about making political statements, making personal statements. Her husband's like never really in the spotlight. Everyone from like Christians to like hardcore punks love Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. And I think she like, she does make political choices, but she does so in a way that like doesn't offend like the broader country music base that you would think that she would have to Absolutely, cater to a little yeah. more carefully. Um, and I think even like her first single was about being a dumb blonde. And then like as the song goes on, it's like, don't think I'm dumb just because I have giant tits and blonde hair. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the uh, don't make that assumption about me. I'm actually way smarter than that. And her career is like really built on that idea, I think, over time. If I learned anything from that documentary, it's not much, but if I learned anything, it was she started off as a songwriter first and kind of still has not let go of that. Like she just writes thousands and thousands and thousands of songs and at least a hundred of them are like hits in one way or another. But sometime in like the late seventies, early eighties, Dolly Parton decided I want to expand my fan base outside of the country music realm. Like I'm already really well beloved. Everyone who knows what the grand old Opry is like loves me already. I need the rest of America to get on board. (laughs) So she put her like toe in the water to become a movie star and like thought that would expand her brand. And within her first two feature films, I'd say she did that extremely effectively. (laughs) And the one I picked, I saw for the first time early this year. Uh, It was a Christmas gift from a family member. On Blu-ray. Oh, wow. Wow. And I really had no context for it other than the Dolly Parton's in it, and I like her. It is a musical called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, or if you saw it in various parts of America, it was rebranded as The Best Little Cat House in Texas, so as not to (laughs) offend. I think this is the perfect quintessential Dolly Parton movie. Mm -hmm. It's maybe not the best made or like the tightest, but it is like... Everything you love about Dolly Parton and like what makes her special is contained in this feature film. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays a madam in this whorehouse in this small town in Texas that people from larger cities travel to. And in the small town, 
she's basically an institution like the bank or the general store. Like her brothel that she started in as a worker and then took over as like prostitute manager, the madam. She basically is like a pillar of the community from that position of power and like donates to school fundraising events and like has a philanthropic handle in the community. And no one really says anything about the moral transgression of having like basically legalized prostitution because it's not a problem. Like people just go there to pay for sex and it's a relatively safe way to exchange goods for services in that realm. One of the people that like majorly overlooks it is Burt Reynolds, who is her um, love interest and co-lead as the town sheriff. And he offers, I guess, some protection from like outside agencies who might want to shut them down. But for the most part, he just has like a chummy relationship with her. And they're sleeping together behind everyone's backs. Like, they're doing it privately. Maybe people kind of know, but, like, it's not out in the open. And when a big city reporter, played by Dom DeLuise in a really over-the-top, like, sissy performance, (laughs) very funny, um, comes in and makes a big scandal out of the whorehouse. He's like, can you believe that they've legalized prostitution and the sheriff's turning a blind eye and all this, like, moral (laughs) rot is happening out in the open? Then... The pressure is on Burt Reynolds to either defend her in a legal realm or to, you know, tell her to shut it down because it's gotten out of control and people from the bigger cities are starting to take notice and care. And in between there, Dolly Parton sings a bunch of songs, which I think (laughs) is like essential for it being a Dolly Parton movie. Like you want to see her sing. Uh, She also wrote, I think, three of the better tunes in the movie. One was. um, Didn't she like co-write like Hard Candy Christmas with Carol Hall? Yeah. Hard Candy Christmas. Uh, sneaking around with you, which was the uh, the flirtatious song with Burt Reynolds. I really mm-hmm. like that one. Where he Good also one. demanded to sing in his real voice in the soundtrack, which was a great choice. Yeah. And then also, there's a motif that will happen throughout the movie that at first I kind of recognized but couldn't place, and then it turns out it's her hit song "I Will Always Love yeah. You" that she wrote on the same day as Jolene because she's a songwriting machine. <laughs> I think this movie's a little sloppy, but incredibly charming. Yes, and I love it. How do y'all feel about it? As a lover of musicals and a lover of Dolly Parton music and a lover of Dolly Parton as a human being and acting, yes. Like this, like you were saying earlier, it's her film. She's been in a lot of movies, but like this one seems to be like the go-to. When you say like a Dolly Parton movie, like this comes to my mind like immediately because she's the main character. Like a lot of her personality and in a lot of roles in films she plays, like her personality channels through but it it's so hard in this one. It's awesome. It's very like in your face. She was only in like six theatrically released movies. And I'd say most of the better ones are like ensemble cast movies where she's like yeah. local color. Yeah. Uh, this one is yeah. like her show. And then just a crap ton of Christmas made for TV yeah, movies Yeah, and then yeah, too. the straight to streaming stuff is still going on. She <laughs> And she actually has a lot of range in this movie more than any of the other ones we're going to talk about. Like this is my favorite of all the ones we mm-hmm. watch. I love hearing that. And um, I think it's because like the central love, like the romance between her and Burt Reynolds was so authentic. Like I felt it. And like the scene where they're arguing and they're both crying. She has like a lot of range in this movie mm-hmm. that she doesn't really show in a lot of the other things we're going to talk about. So I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of her other films are like vehicles for her to be very charming and to like, like spout off a one-liner 
Um, and in this, like, th- this gave her the most opportunity to, like, grapple with conflict that actually belonged to her. Yeah, and I feel like she had the most kind of autonomy and character in this. She's vulnerable, too. Yeah. It's not just, like, trying to make you laugh or right. fall in love with her. She's actually putting her heart on the table. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned, like, the chemistry with Burt Reynolds, because, like, that's one of the things the movie doesn't really have is, like, any kind of raw sexual passion between anybody. Like, Mm -hmm. you can tell they really care for each other, but, like, their scenes together when they're intimate are basically just, like, two old chums, like, chatting about space aliens and whether Jesus would have liked I, I prostitutes. I found that so romantic though. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It was really just like a settled in romance. Like these people are comfortable mm-hmm. around each other. They really love each other, but it's not, no, it's not like a hot, passionate thing. It's like people that have been together for a long time and are just still in love. Yeah. It's like love that has gone beyond the like carnal passion into like companionship and sex together. They're basically like common law married. I mean, like we're yeah. like eight years into whatever that relationship yeah. is. Yeah. I know like, which is kind of disappointing. Like she didn't have like a great time on set, which is so strange. Cause like, this is her sort of breakout movie that everyone knows her for. And I don't know. She never like called out the problem, but like a lot of speculation leads to like Burt Reynolds not being the easiest person to act with. Mm. He's kind of a diva. So I don't know. Like part of me is like, maybe that's why the chemistry wasn't like as hot, but I don't even think I can see her in a role where she has like some, you know what I mean? Like that type of chemistry with another male. It's not necessarily hot, but I think where their chemistry comes from is like, they are movie stars in the, like the old sense of like, when Burt Reynolds is on screen, I look at like that's a star. And the like, same thing with her. Like they just have this charisma and when they're just in the room together, I just like feel it. Yeah. This does feel like a uh sort of old Hollywood thing where it's like a classic stage musical, almost like a western style musical, but also they're trying to grapple with like the free love movement even though in the early 80s like that kind of was coming to a halt. Right. Like, so it feels like kind of out of time, but I really like how chaste and unsexy their dynamic is in a way, because that, that feels very Dolly Parton to me. Like mm-hmm. She is risque in this movie, and I think part of her vulnerability is like actually how unclothed she is. Like I'm so used to her wearing outrageously cinched outfits where you can see her like enormous breasts, <laughs> you know, um, but not uncovered. And like in this movie, she's wearing a lot of like lingerie and kind of just like out in the open but she's not doing anything that's like pushing the boundaries of what a conservative in the south would find morally objectionable except that she's saying that prostitution isn't a big deal yeah so like that was the strategic move yeah i think she just has like a very frank attitude towards sex in a way that makes you realize that it is not a sinful enterprise and i think that was like kind of the backbone of this prostitution house. It's like, this is a thing that all people, not all people, this is a thing that a lot of people engage with and want as a part of their lives. And it's, it's something that we should be able to talk about. And like, I don't know, like that we should, we can cultivate like flirtatiousness around, but doesn't need to be like demonized and criminalized. I feel like, yeah, we, Got to bring these back because <laughs> there's something about like that that felt so safe. I think with her like sort of being their like whorehouse mother 
and they're even the song you know little bitty pissant country plays she mm-hmm. kind of knocks down like fuck pimps essentially yeah. yeah and i'm like yeah weren't like women way safer there and it's like more contained and like now like a lot of sex workers have to deal with you know that, that men are sort of are very in control of it right yeah and that's where a lot of the violence and shit comes from and there's like, like regular oh, health screenings and stuff like mm-hmm. yeah so wash them before you do anything it's she safer for the them. entire community not Scan just for, for the, the workers right yeah. what, what yeah. was sort of depressing watching these like this one and nine to five was like how we're still kind of talking about yeah. this stuff politically 40 yeah. years later and nothing is really changed that made me a little sad I like her bravery of like hitting on hot button political issues that likely will never go away in our lifetimes like that, though, because mm-hmm. it's such an odd public persona she has where one of the movies we watched today was available on pure flicks. <laughs> and, and it's just like very odd to me that like one person can encompass that wide of a range, like from pure flicks to pro uh, legal sex work. <laughs> you know, right. like she, she has a way of just getting past people's political barriers. I do think it's interesting. Like I've been like listening to a lot of podcasts about like the run up to next year's presidential election. And is it going to be Trump or DeSantis? How is the Republican party going to rebrand itself? It's like Dolly Parton. That's how a conservative (laughs) should brand itself in the modern. It's like, you can be conservative and still be, you know, pro women's right. You know, well, technically, this would be the more conservative play, right? Is like to not have the government jump in and like say that this is not morally right. correct. Yeah, yeah. So regulate like yeah. a business. It's right. the same with like DeSantis getting in that war with Disney. Yeah, it's like that's not a conservative viewpoint to like get involved in a private company's like you know what they produce. So I don't know. I feel like a lot of Republicans should learn from Dolly Parton. Like this is how you brand yourself to appeal to a wide swath of voters yeah but i also i mean she is branding herself in a way that and she is like putting forth some more like liberal ideas like liberal compared to the current republican party so i would not want the republican party to rebrand using dolly parton to like (laughs) get their policies you know that would be like pure evil (laughs) it is interesting though because um you know my best friend she grew up very in a very conservative household very religious and whenever we lived together in college like this was like the dvd in her collection that was like burned out the most because she watched it so much with her family and they fucking love this movie and like I don't know. I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting. I never really figured out why. I'm like, well, I guess it's a fucking good movie. And but if they open a local brothel in your like Bayou town, well, she's not from the Bayou. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> she's from North the Bible Belt. Oh, that's even worse. Like, I know. Area. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they'd be like, well, I guess Dolly did it in the movie. <laughs> it looks really wholesome. They're like squeezing fresh lemonade, and like mm-hmm. during the Depression, they accepted chickens as their. Uh, as their payment. So there's like a whole chicken ranch. That's out how there. they became the, known as the Chicken Ranch. Yeah. 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 after the movie ended i thought like this has to be based on a true story and it is and it's like the ending is sad to me it is Mm -hmm. sad to me that the brothel had to close and they have kind of like narrative they wrap it up narratively as like oh so this news reporter got what he wanted and dolly Parton and burt reynolds they got what they wanted but it the story was kind of like the end 
of a good thing. Yeah. The ending is bittersweet, but I think it kind of had to try to paint it as like, overall, it's just a changing time. Like, I think that ending could keep this movie appealing to like conservatives potentially. It's like th- this era is over. And I don't know. I I felt like there was a touch of it that might have been like, isn't isn't this kind of a shame? I know they have like a problem with the word evolved, but uh, it's like we've evolved past this. You know? Right. It's like quaint because it's in the yeah. past. And they have a couple of lines too throughout where it's like, oh, don't you know there's a sexual revolution? And like women nowadays just like to do this themselves. But I mean, prostitution has existed since the beginning of time and will continue to exist. And like these spaces are actually, you know, obviously this is a Hollywood movie, but those spaces are precious and important. There's almost a metatextual thing, too, where like there was that period of time where during Free Love, major studios were dipping their toe into making like risque x-rated basically softcore porno stuff like after deep throat mm-hmm. created porno chic there was what's the russ meyer movie um beyond the valley, valley of the dolls. dolls yeah uh there's myra breckenridge like they were trying to like see what they could get away with and this mm-hmm. was produced by fox who did both of those movies and like this feels like the end of that era as well it's like yeah. they're kind of closing the door on that like free love moment they had even though this is like way more chaste than either of those films yeah um, and it's not entirely Chase. There's like some nudity and, yeah, you know. there's a lot of butts. One of the gayest locker room <laughs> yes. uh, songs outside so of the uh, Village uh, <laughs> People movie. I love it. Yeah. It's like this is what should be these very masculine like college football players. And like I was just singing like most of those guys are gay. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, for <laughs> sure. pirouetting in the locker room. Not the so only um, homoerotic locker room scene in the movies we're talking about today. <laughs> True. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just think of a lot of young gay boys watching these movies with their moms and grandmas just being like, holy shit. Are you saying gay people love Dolly Parton? I'm just <laughs> yeah, hearing that's what about I'm saying. <laughs> I also, I did love another shout out to the the governor's song, <laughs> which is <laughs> just- step. Yeah, the sidestep. <laughs> Where he just says absolutely nothing but talks for like right. minutes on end. Mm-hmm. One of the best like takedowns of like- politicians i've seen in a movie it just i was howling it was so (laughs) funny and so on point of like what these sleazy politicians there are no songs in the movie i dislike i don't think even the 20 fans are turning song is like a mouthful yeah and kind of clumsy but it's adorable how like broadway it is this is one of my favorite like soundtracks of a musical because everything's so good and like hard candy christmas was like written for this fucking movie but when you look up like the best like Dolly Parton songs ever. Like that's always one of her top songs. Mm -hmm. So love it. I have not seen this live and I would love, yeah, love to see this live. It was originally a Broadway play, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a Playboy magazine article and then a Broadway (laughs) play and a Dolly Parton movie. Whoa. (laughs) What a path. Wow. Love the journey. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taking and no giving They just use your mind And they never give you credit It's enough to drive you Crazy if you let it Nine 
for the Dolly Parton episode was nine to five. I had never seen nine to five before. Uh, however, when I was a teenager, we had a karaoke game for the PlayStation 2 presented by CMT, which was country karaoke, uh, which had this song, uh, 9 to 5, so I know all of the words, and I've just never seen the movie. You know how I know that, Hannah? Because <laughs> when we started watching it, they play that song at the very and she was singing every, every single word. word. That's great. <laughs> I was like, I was like wow. was like, you have to stop. <laughs> it's a hit song. Yeah, it's yeah. great. So uh, 9 to 5 is about three women who have a horrible boss. They work for the same person. Jane Fonda plays Judy. She's a new employee with this company. Um, and she is trained by Lily Tomlin's character, Violet, who has been at the company for like 15 years. Uh, she trained the person who eventually became the manager of their floor and Dolly Parton, who plays Dora Lee, and she is the boss's very hot secretary that he um, is continually uh, sexually harassing. So these three women kind of come together because of their shared frustrations with this boss who they describe as a, uh, let's see... I can't find the quote that I just read. It's like a hypocritical, egotistical bitch. Yeah, it's it's like six different adjectives for this person is a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Bigot is very important in that list of descriptors. So they they kind of all converge at this bar and then they get stoned together and they have like all of these fantasies of how they would punish and kill their boss. And then Violet accidentally brings uh, rat poison to the office instead of the boss's preferred um, sugar replacement. And he has an unrelated accident, but she thinks that she killed him. Um, so there, it just like kind of devolves into madcap lunacy, like, and eventually morphs into this like wild kidnapping plot. They've like constructed this uh, device with like a garage door opener and like leather cuffs to keep him restrained and um they're trying to expose this like embezzlement scheme that he has and while he's indisposed they're like pretending to be him basically and like passing all of these company memos to improve the workplace and make it a more livable environment so i thought this was a very fun movie it kind of like lost me a little bit in the middle um, when they think he's dead, so they like steal this body that they think is him from the hospital, and then they realize it's not him. They bring it back to that, like all of this kind of running around that feels a little pointless. But then, like eventually, like he finds out about their plot, and it and it comes together. Like I feel like it, it's a little loose. It's a little sweaty and desperate. Yeah, for a laugh. right. It's like right. And it's really trying hard to, like, get all of these contrived pieces to come together. But it's also, like, a whole lot of fun. I do think, much like Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, some of the policies that they implement, it's, like, depressing that these haven't been incorporated into, like, the modern workplace across the board. What's your favorite policy? I mean, the equal pay is great. I th- yeah. yeah pretty pretty important one. <laughs> right. And the, uh, you know what? I really love the daycare 
in also genius. Yeah. I, I like the loose hours. Right, that was flexible mine. Yeah. Work. work share. Yeah. yeah, and the work share, dude. It's just yeah. like. Okay, I'm getting paid for eight hours of work. Can I come in at seven and knock it out by three? Yeah, you know what right. I mean? Like that's genius. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of like really good practical political solutions that would make everyone happier and more productive right. in this movie out in plain sight. And yeah. The, and the politics of the film, it's not like anti capitalist, really. It's not like Marxist or anything revolutionary. It's just like capitalism can work better. It's critical of these like men who have hoarded power over these small fiefdoms and won't allow progression to go past yes. what put them in power. Like they're like scared to change or do anything. So they yeah. lock everything down in this like rigid place to hold on to like their cushy job so no one else can like move up and the it, hierarchy. This all this movie also reminded me I recently got a kind of a big promotion at work to where I'm going to be the manager of the entire mm-hmm. warehouse. And like it's basically like realizing that the higher up you go, the less actual work you have to do. Yeah. That's fucked it, up. <laughs> it's like totally it's what so this guy true. in this movie is going, like he does nothing. He just sits in his office and what has his secretary bring him coffee and has right. a couple meetings and. Yeah. Like he's absolutely indisposed and nobody notices. <laughs> right. Like it's absolutely not a problem for functionality. Yeah. Which is again, very depressing. But yeah, I th- I think that the policies at the end are always like couched in this is going to make our company more productive. And I think that was the only thing that was like a little disappointing, but, you know, rather than like these are human beings and we need to, you know, like th- these things make sense. It's like it always has to come down to like, oh, our daycare has reduced absenteeism by, you know, whatever, yeah. 20%. The reason the owner of the company loves it is because profits are going right. up, yeah. not because people are happier. Yeah. Right. And also, like, he loves all of the policies except <laughs> except for equal pay, which is like everything else seemed kind of revolutionary to me in that, like, they seem like obvious policies. And we have some of those instituted in the place where I work, but like daycare at work would be yeah. wild. Like that would make work so like work and parenting so much more accessible. So the fact that like in the movie, equal pay is the thing that the CEO is like, we have to do something about this. You know, I don't know. I just thought it was a, a really interesting kind of time capsule for the like workplace politics of that time. If I have a hot take this episode, this movie is it, where it's like, politically, I get it, and mm-hmm. it's like a very like smart movie. And I think Jane Fonda is kind of the creative thrust there, where like she wanted Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin as her co-leads. She wanted this political messaging in this movie, and like she built this as a project, more or less. So she's like the auteur of the piece. Yeah. And like, if you know anything about her, she's a political actor within Hollywood. Like that that's like her entire yeah, didn't thing. she like camp out in a tree for like a month? She or gets something? arrested regularly for yeah, you know, for activism. Yeah. Yeah. activism. Yeah, but I think the jokes are not as funny as they have to be for the movie to be a great comedy. So like, I leave it like I love these three women. Yeah. I love the messaging, and there are like long stretches of the movie where I'm like not laughing at jokes. Yes. So like, I overall have a positive feeling about this movie, but like. Earlier when Brittany was saying, like, yeah, when people think of Dolly Parton, the first movie that comes to mind is Best Little Whorehouse. 
to me, I thought nine to five was like the Dolly Parton movie for a lot of people. And it probably was her like breakout mm-hmm. casting. But she's a side yeah. character. She's like, to... Yeah. She's like color commentary. Li- I mean, right. Lily Tomlin is really the one that's holding it down yeah. in yeah. this movie. Yeah. But yeah, I just wish the jokes were punchier. I don't know. It's a little like sweaty, cokey eighties comedy. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought it was an interesting ride of like different styles of comedy too. We're like, that sequence where they get high and it's like a fantasy. I'm sorry. That is like so unfunny watching people giggle on weed. Yeah. yeah. No, and it didn't. No, but it didn't <laughs> oh work. Fantasies I, the hilarious. fantasies are fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fantasies themselves are pretty funny. But yeah, just like watching other people get high and laugh. Not that funny. No. I actually like the madcap slapstick with the corpse stuff. Like that's a different style of. And then when they're like keeping him captive. Yeah. And yes. it was like kind of hitting these different kinds of comedy that were very popular at that time um so it is like a time capsule for yeah. sure but i yeah I, I didn't think it was as funny as yeah little whorehouse in texas or i think the hardest <laughs> i laughed was whenever they like zooted him up into the garage door holder. oh yeah yeah, yeah. just that, that's just, you know, just an gear was kind of good yeah and jane fonda having this argument with her like yes divorced husband <laughs> where like She's like, I'm in a kink now. Yeah. I like tying people up. Right. He's like, because she's trying to hide the fact that they have this guy, you know, locked up for whatever reason. And her husband, her ex-husband is like, what, you know, what, what, what is he doing you? here? <laughs> yeah. Two weeks. And he's like, he's like, are you into this S&M stuff now? And she's like, that's right. All of it. I'm into everything. Like, I just thought that that was, if I want to eat M&M's. Right. <laughs> like, I'm into yeah. M&M's. And it, yeah. That is funny. It, like, she's just trying to hide the fact that he's. There for that, but it does get at a real like. Don't police what I do. Like we yeah. have no relationship, and you know, I that is a problem that her character was dealing with. I also laughed every single time Dolly Parton had a gun. I was like, <laughs> she's got a gun. It's, Everybody run! She, yeah, she's terrifying with it yeah. too. Um, but like, I like grew up on this movie, so I've seen it fucking probably at least a hundred times, mm-hmm. and you know, as like a seven-year-old watching it i didn't really understand a lot of what was going on i just thought the rat poison stuff was funny Mm -hmm. um when they tied him up it was funny and that it probably sucks to work for a man and (laughs) the older i get as i continue to watch it i'm like i am totally like lily tomlin's character where Mm -hmm. you know whenever i had one of my first like bigger jobs when i got out of college i remember being like this is exactly what happened to her where like you know, you have these ideas for efficiencies and you're like, we need to do this. And then your boss will be like, yeah, not right now. Moving on. And then like two weeks later, you're like, this was that shit that I wanted to do and you fucking implemented it. And then everyone's patting them on the back and you're like, I'm going to murder you. (laughs) It's so frustrating. And it's like, I, yes, like the, the rat poison fantasy became like so true where I'm like, yes, I would do this. But yeah, it's funny, but I get what you're saying. Like there's that weird lull Mm-hmm. where it's not as exciting but it doesn't last a long time. yeah i don't think this movie would be as popular or as well remembered if dolly parton were not in it and i think a large part of that is just like how colorful she is and like something yeah. we didn't mention with whorehouse is like every time she makes a costume change it's an event like <laughs> oh my god she's wearing purple gingham you know like mm-hmm. and in here she wears beige fringe which is like yeah. really weird and perverse i love that so much also these like tight like knit tiny tiny mm. knit dresses yeah. that are so so yeah, hot that yeah that was doing it for me and 
she's got great one-liners like southern like yeah. sayings she'll like i'm gonna change you from a rooster to hen with one yeah. shot like <laughs> yeah, that's so good super memorable but also gotta mention the song is what makes the movie right like she was bored on set in her trailer because movies are boring to make and she's used to like working constantly <laughs> they are they're a lot of waiting around like, yeah you like go to these locations you're Tired because you've spent 18 hours waiting for a shot to happen. Like, you mm-hmm. have to really want to do it to actually yeah. do it. So, she's in her trailer and she's a songwriter. She's, she's like, I have dead time right now. She'll mm-hmm. be writing songs that'll make me millions of dollars. And she starts clacking her acrylic nails together uh, to simulate the sound of a typewriter. Yeah. Ugh. And she writes nine to five while she's bored oh between my God. shots. Damn. Amazing. She's a machine. Unstoppable. One thing I did learn from the documentary on Netflix last night. I, I had heard that story before because it's like such a good anecdote, but I didn't realize that the actual soundtrack recording that you hear has her playing the nails on oh, the microphone cool. and yeah. like it's credited to her like Dolly Parton on nails. Is I her, remember is her she had an interview with someone and like her and Patti LaBelle were both like talking about acrylics and music. <laughs> but like I think what is essential to like a Dolly Parton movie being like a Dolly Parton movie like mm-hmm. her branding is like you have to have some kind of like at least one hit song with yeah. her voice on it and this one is like I think this might be her like most iconic role for most people because that song is the first thing you hear it in your head when you hear the title immediately mm-hmm. even though Jane Fonda I feel like is more the creative like thrust behind it and Lily Tomlin gets more screen time than I think, yeah movie. every time I think of this is obviously a Dolly Parton movie but like I just look at this as like like a showcase for Lily Tomlin more so yeah mm-hmm when I think of Lily Tom movies, like this one comes to my head first. Yeah. You know, I actually think that rings true with the next film that you picked as well as like when you picked it, I was like, is that a Dolly Parton movie? And then I rewatched it. I'm like, Oh yeah, totally. It is. But yeah. She was not the first actor that came to mind when, right. when you brought it up. Right. Mm-hmm. First actress, Sally Field. Right? Sally Field mm-hmm. and her daughter, uh, Julie Roberts. Julie Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So the movie I picked is Still Magnolias from 1989. And I feel like just like nine to five, like grew up in this movie, watch it like at least five times a year. Um, It's just this like, I don't know, comforting film that is this quintessential Southern woman powerhouse movie that's Mm -hmm. up there with like fried green tomatoes, you know, and it like Best Little Whorehouse in Texas comes from a theatrical beginning so this was based on a play um, that's written by Robert Harling. So Robert Harling had a sister who his younger sister died from type 1 diabetes. And he was like, well, I want like to do something to for everyone to know who she was and like remember her life. So he wrote a play. And I've seen the play twice. And basically the play has no men in it. It's just our main women and you're in Truvy's beauty salon the entire time. Oh, cool. So it's it's really cool. It's a lot of just good conversation and just really shows how like that whole community that a lot of Southern women build for themselves. And it gets translated into this movie really well. It's like a slightly straighter, sordid lives. Yeah. <laughs> just I've, like celebrating yes. Southern women at the beauty salon. Yeah, exactly. And also speaking of the men, like I love... You said I didn't know that that the original play didn't feature any men, but the men in this film are so in the background. Oh my god, and they're just like goons. acting like jackasses. <laughs> yeah. Tom Skerritt is kind of funny every now and no, then. Tom McDermott gets washed away. <laughs> yeah. So the director of this film is Herbert Ross. 
So this is where we have a Real Housewives connection. Wow. <laughs> so Herbert Ross was married to Lee Radswell, so Princess Lee Radswell, who is Jacqueline Kennedy's sister and mother to Anthony. So Anthony Radswell is the husband of Carol Radswell, who is a journalist, author, and a Real Housewife in New York City. I feel like I need you to put up one of those murder conspiracy boards with like the red <laughs> string going around for me to truly follow that. But <laughs> but there's your connection. Yeah, that there. was like a three degrees of yeah, Kevin yeah. Bacon. Always with us. <laughs> so in this film, Shelby is played by Julia Roberts with like a horrific Southern accent, which is insane because she's from Georgia. Is she good in this? Yes. No. No, <laughs> but I love her anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, th- that's where the discussion. Was. But I don't think like, I don't think it's her story. I almost feel like it's coming from her mom's perspective. Like yeah. it's coming from like Sally Fields perspective who like the older I get, the more I understand her yeah. so much more than I did like when I was younger. Right. It's more about the women in the salon. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, not so much Julia Roberts. She's more of a side character. Yeah. Even though the story is sort of about her experience, but everyone who's kind of dealing with it, it it's we get more of their perspective than hers. And they're kind of remembering when they were that age and the the star yeah. of the show. Right. They've, right. All, they've all passed that prime a little bit. Yeah. So she's getting married to Jackson, who's this like cute little Southern lawyer. Dylan McDermott plays him. Kind of a a silent dud, but he's doing what he needs to do for this movie, which is great. So they're getting married, and the movie opens up with everyone super hectic, like, trying to get this wedding on on track. Um, Her two brothers are being jackasses. Her dad is shooting birds in the tree so they don't shit on everybody at the reception, which is causing, like, Weeza Boudreaux, played by Shirley MacLaine, Mm. her to go fucking nuts and just be like, I fucking hate you, like... You know, we're nemesis, you know, she's coming over, throwing his, like, bullets in the pool and shit. And all the women are going to Truvy's Beauty Salon so that they can get ready for the wedding. So Julia Roberts goes, her mother, um, Malene, played by Sally Field. And uh, I love Sally Field, Mm -hmm. so I will say that. She's, like, one of my favorite actresses. And Daryl Hannah's character, Anel, is... Truvy's, well, we should say Truvy is Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. She's the salon owner. She's like the hot gossip queen of the South. She's like an anchor. Like everyone like revolves around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So she um, needed help at her salon. So Daryl Hannah's character um, goes over on that day to start working. And um, Clarie, Olympia Dukakis, I mean, mm-hmm. awesome. Incredible. Right. What a great cast. It's yeah. so God. good. So they're all in this salon. They're all getting ready. And, you know, Julia Roberts is doing her, like, harsh accent, talking about blush and bashful, her two (laughs) shades of pink for her wedding. And everyone's sort of talking. And then she starts to, like, have a seizing moment. But (laughs) I don't want to laugh at it. It's very But it's very intense where, like, this ominous music starts to play that comes out of left field. She starts like shaking, but it's almost like, I don't know that much about type one diabetes, but I'm like, when you seize, do you become a different person? It's like, she's almost like, no, I don't want my juice. It's camp. Like that whole exchange is like drag queen fodder. Right. But like, that makes me feel bad. Cause like when you go back and watch stuff like, 
the no more wire hanger scene, which is like child abuse in right. Mommy Dearest, or the Merry Christmas Mama moment from Summer Place. Like, <laughs> right. It's no denying that it is camp and like overplayed right. and funny. <laughs> it's based, but like, in yeah, a it's based on like it's a horrible misery. Situation. Yeah, it's right. fucked up. But I, I, like now, that's all. That's like on T-shirts. If you go to like drag brunches, like you know how many like gay juice, men Shelby. I know that's like drinking <laughs> yeah. juice. Yeah, I mean. You were asking earlier, like, is Julia Roberts good in this? Like, I think she's trying, and I think she's overacting yeah. a lot. So she's probably not, like, good in it, but I think it works for me. Like, the camp overacting, especially in that scene, it makes the scene. Here, here's yeah. how I'll put it. The first time I watched this movie, I laughed a lot. And the second time I watched it, I cried through at least half of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, oh, I love these women. I know where they're going. And it breaks my heart. Well, this yeah. was like branded cried. as the funniest movie that will make you cry. Mm-hmm. It works. <laughs> Which makes sense. Yeah. Maybe not at the same time. I had one experience and then the other, but it, it did both. Right. So <laughs> she's got, I mean, like the worst case of diabetes ever. And part of that is it makes it difficult for her to have children or she shouldn't have them yeah because her body's not meant to carry a child safely or whatever so in the beginning there's sort of this thing between her and jackson where she's like you know do you really want to marry me because i can't really have kids and he's like i don't know we'll just buy a bunch another problematic thing but her mom is sort of like yeah you don't need to be doing this and the the way i kind of look at it is it has to be hard if you're a parent with like a kid that's sick like that where you're like, I fucking can't control you anymore, Yeah, but I want to fucking control you because I know what's better for you. And I think like you can total the way that Sally Field portrays like this character of Malin, like you can totally tell what she's like feeling at every second. She's yeah. isolated through the situation where like she's supposed to be celebrating these milestones, like her daughter leaving the house, her daughter getting pregnant. And everyone right. has that instant reaction. It's like, oh, you're going to have a baby. That's so great. Mm-hmm. But that just isolates Sally Field even more. She's like, this is really irresponsible. And I'm going to lose my yeah, daughter. Right. Well, and also as the mother in this family, she is the one that is shepherding everyone through their transitional period. So like the wedding, which she's stressed about, she's also organizing it and making sure everything goes smoothly. Uh-huh. When um, Julia Roberts eventually does have the baby, like she's there constantly to make sure that Julia Roberts is okay and like helping shepherd her through that. So she has to deal with the stress and anxiety of like knowing that your daughter is doing something that is not going to be good for her in the long run and also being there with her to. And I think the hardest moment for her is when Julia Roberts comes and tells her she's pregnant. It's like. I right. have to be on the spot, and but I can't feel good about this right now. Right. I feel like crying again right now. <laughs> I know, but she eventually gets it. Like, Julia Roberts, yeah. as shitty as she was in this role, she does deliver this really great line where she's like, I'd rather have, like, 30 minutes of something I'm loving doing than yeah. living a life of something I'm, like, not liking. And it's like, well, I guess that makes sense. And, yeah. you know, it's like, you can, guess, do what the fuck you want, Julia. The one Shelby. other caveat I want to put in there is that in that conversation it's a lot of like julia roberts saying this is what i want this is what Mm -hmm. i want i want you to be happy but she's also having trouble finding someone who like she originally planned to adopt and she can't find anyone to adopt to her and there's this one line she says this would just make everything a lot easier and then you get the sense that like 
the fact that they're not having children is affecting their marriage, which was yeah. a concern from the beginning. And this, even though she does want a child, part of it is like, even if it's not good for me, this is what we need for our relationship. And Sally Field is like, oh, okay, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And that's like a really painful place to be in you know as the person that would bear a child in a relationship like it's it's all up to her they're living a delusional life they want to have a traditional southern marriage and right it's like and not they can't medically possible yeah and it's gonna kill her daughter yeah that's really tough yes. yeah and it does <laughs> i can't believe how funny i found this movie versus how depressing it actually is but i think that's like the point of it is you know if you've ever i mean i've been in situations too where you've like you're the hardest shit you're going through is happening yeah. yep. and just having someone there to like I, I can't help but think of that scene like you know shelby does die and that amazing monologue mm-hmm. that sally field has at her funeral where you know she's like she goes through like every fucking emotion that a human being could have and then olympia Dukax is like oh fucking hit weasel yeah. please yeah. <laughs> and like that kind of helps lift them up where it's like the whole movie feels like that. Like there's, it's horrible the shit that's happening, but it's so fucking funny. I mean, also what made me cry a lot was just how much these women love each other. Yeah, like, yeah. even the curmudgeonly Shirley MacLaine, they all joke like they hate her and don't want her around. They love her, but they, they love, love the her shit so much. Out of her. She's yeah. just one of the gals. Or even how they took in a nail who yeah. like they barely knew she was at the wedding like she's this massive part of their lives instantly. They stuck with her when she became a Jesus freak. For right, like two years. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. This movie, it's hard for me to like be objective about it because it is so kind of central to some of the women in my life. Like my mom loves this movie and my grandmother loved this movie. And, you know, they're both Southern women and this movie appeals to them. And it really does capture something about women in the South and like creating a tight community. It speaks to that experience of being a Southern woman beautifully in a way that I can't like objectively judge it as being good or bad. It's just like, to me, it like gets at something that's very real and lived in. And that's where Dolly Parton comes in. Cause she's like the authentic real deal version yes. of that. Yeah. Like this feels like her as a right. human mm-hmm. being in this movie. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Even though her role is small, it's like quintessential her because in real life, if she wasn't a country music star, I could see her owning a yeah yeah hair hair salon and people love her and they come to her and want to like confess their secrets. Even though all of her hair that we all love her for is all wigs. And she admits (laughs) that openly. She is a drag queen on top of being a country performer. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also this, there's this focus on beauty in the movie that I was having a hard time like folding into the rest of it. Um, But like there's a scene where her husband is sitting in a chair and he's like looking at wax like hair wax mm-hmm. and he has no idea what it is it's in this little tub and he's like oh what's this for and, and i think she says something that's like that makes me pretty right and i thought like traditionally like beauty is the domain of women and also these like like the movie is organized as a progression through these events like a wedding and then a like christmas pageant and a like engagement party and like those are also the domain of women, like these like festivities that create joy in the yeah. lives of other people, and how like so many women have to deal with 
this like the suffering of loss in a family too and like are responsible for the funerals and i don't know i just love that the cornerstone of the film is this beauty salon like that is the central function you're like gussing up for these events right. but it's also like putting this kind of superficial beauty in your life to like pass over and get you through difficult I mean, times. I don't know. That's like a very no, trite it was, thing. It was like, <laughs> it's kind of a trite movie, but it's like yeah. real. But it's right. real. And like the, me- I love melodrama and this is really melodramatic. High melodrama. Yeah. High melodrama. It is. But like, you know, my dad's side of the family, we have family in Georgia, like rural Georgia. And that was the experience of like the men are off shooting guns, riding dirt <laughs> bikes, fishing, the women are like cooking. You know, my aunt had like an antique salon, you know, antique shop. And like they would sit and gossip mm-hmm. while the men were out like acting stupid, getting drunk, being idiots. And like the women were really the ones behind the scenes, like holding the shit down. Yeah. yeah. And like this film captures that so beautifully. Doing all the foundational work. Yeah. yeah. While the men just act like idiots. I, I don't know. Like, again, it is like sappy it gets into like kind of soap opera e like melodrama but i don't know it made me cry yeah and laugh and i do think the point of the movie is not really julia roberts story per se it's just like we're gonna deal with some really tragic shit but we're gonna get through it we're gonna laugh through it yeah and be there for each other something about that i find very comforting i think that all of the different people that I've come across, like in different like phases of their lives and different career paths and in different, you know, with different backgrounds that all fucking love this movie yeah. is insane. Like I have this purse that has like an armadillo on it. <laughs> and I was um, one of the projects I was working. I'm working on at work deals with um, this like outpatient surgery center. And the woman who's like the lead surgeon, I had to have like a conversation with her and you know, a lot of like folks who are in those positions are very like stoic and just like, yeah. let me get to the point. And she was talking like very like, this is what we're going to do, 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 do. And then she was like, hmm, nice purse. Still Magnolias? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. incredible. And she was like, yeah, armadillo cake. All right. And she just kept talking. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. But it's like everyone like references this movie mm-hmm. in like so many different parts of life. And also we can't go without saying that it takes it was filmed in Natchitoches. Yeah. So I always want to go. I've never even been to like the Christmas festival they have mm-hmm. there, but I totally want to go like extra bad now after we like watch this to talk about it. <laughs> um, I feel like I've watched the shit out of this movie, but the fucking hospital scene like, yeah. m- like kills me every time because it lasts for so long and we have to like walk through like these days with this family and um, a lot of the nurses and doctors that were in the hospital were the real nurses who took care of oh, the real, really oh my God. the real Damn. Shelby that died. So they loved her so much when they found out like her brother oh. did this. They're like, yeah, we totally want to be a part of this. That adds so much context to like the fact that it actually happened to his sister. And I f- yes, I think that's why there was mm. such a focus on it. Because in a lot of movies like that, you'll run through that so quickly. Yeah. But it's like we're so forced to sit with them as they like go through that process that it's like, oh, it kind of clicked where the, you know, the writer of the play, like he had, he did, he was a screenwriter for the movie and him and the director like worked so closely on this. I did see that he did other like punch-ups and stuff. I think like Pelican Brief or something like that. Yeah. But, like, 
I was trying to do research to see if he was gay online, and I could not get a solid answer on that. First Wives Club, and I'm like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) He went to Tulane, so a lot of his like Wikipedia information is all like law school stuff. Yeah, but like I watched a couple interviews with him on the uh, library DVD copy, and I was like. I don't know. I, it was hard to like exactly tell if he was just genteel and Southern or not, but like, right. I want him to be because this is very sordid lives in like the perfect way. Right. Yeah. And I think like even the way that homosexuality is even treated, the the joke with the, you know, how do you know like someone's gay? And it's like, well, if he has track lighting and his name's Rick, Michael or Steve. Right. <laughs> and they have that joke where Weeza comes in just like my nephew, Steve put up this like track lighting in my house. No one loves Southern women more than Southern gay men. Yeah. yeah. That's all. Yeah, that's also like you know think i'm thinking of my cousin like you know who's gay that you know i grew up with like a brother we would watch this with our grandma all the time and um i remember like him and i were kind of talking about this and he would always be like "Ooh," in that like locker room scene with Mm -hmm. clarie and i'm like (laughs) oh man like totally it oh the second movie with jockstrap uh nudity yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) I tr- truly have never seen that before. <laughs> I th- I've never seen a jock strap in real life. I you guess. are not a gay man, is what no. I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. I've discovered this, but yeah, I didn't realize that it was just like like assless. I mean, I don't know. Beyond being just naked in a locker room, I mean, they're they're very hot. Yeah, yeah. jock strap. Yeah, yeah. I'd wear Love one. it. It's it's kinky stuff. I think Dolly Parton's place in this is the Southern sayings, which she does in all of these movies. Mm-hmm. But like this one, she really lays it on thick. Ooh. She like jumps in with like, have some iced tea. You know, it's the house wine of the South. Like, she's like, <laughs> she's got the full of those one liners. Yeah. yeah. My favorite one is uh, there's no such thing as natural beauty. You know, like <laughs> yes. she creates that from by hand. She also gets a lot of those in the final movie on her list yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. Best for so, last. My, my pick was uh, Straight Talk. <laughs> straight, straight Talk. talk. <laughs> Which, this song has been in my mind for like a week now since I watched it. So Straight Talk from, I think, 92. So the latest film we're going to talk about where she plays uh, Shirley, Shirley Kenyon from small town Arkansas. She is a dance instructor who gets fired because she's talking to her clients too much about <laughs> their problems and she's dating this low life played by uh what james madsen michael madsen michael madsen i hate that guy he's a terrible actor <laughs> but he's perfect in this because he's playing kind of like what i imagine he is like he always plays these like dirtbag characters and he's perfect yeah so she like Leaves her boyfriend behind. She's like, I'm going to go to the big city of Chicago. And I have a question about that. Okay. Where is this like deeply Southern woman living where like Chicago is the big city to her? I mean, well, I think the big Ar- city of the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Arkansas, if you were going to go to the big city. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. You would go, go to Little Rock. Yeah. That was like- I've done that drive from like New Orleans to Chicago. It's a straight up oh, shot. Okay. And yeah. like you do have to pass through Arkansas. So yeah, if you're in Arkansas and you're like. I buy Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to the top. As a Midwesterner, like obviously we would go to Minneapolis as our like big city trip that's pretty easy to get to. But Chicago was the one where like, oh, we're going to go here for like a fun city Ooh. trip. Okay. So that was definitely my experience. And then New York is like unobtainable. Yeah. yeah. So she gets there and she immediately like stupidly like some money drops out and she's 
going over this bridge to try to retrieve her $20. And James Woods, uh, a reporter, happens to see her uh, and he thinks that she's God. trying to commit suicide. The and perfect heartthrob for every rom-com. So he goes down there and there's you know, the miscommunication. Oh, you thought I was trying to commit suicide. And, and then they have a scene right after where she's in a diner and talking to Terry Hatcher. Hatcher ooh, very small part in this movie. I, I thought she was like a pretty big actress Same. at this time. She but was billed like as one of the main actresses in here. Right. And I was like, one when scene, she's coming back. <laughs> yeah. And she gives her like relationship advice and to leave who turns out to be James Woods character. He's like, oh, you know, you're ruining my my day. And they go on their way and she gets a job at this local radio station and through happenstance kind of ends up on the air and giving her just very Southern truism yeah. kind of advice. Her straight talk. Sometimes her straight talk. a dog runs the right squirrel up the wrong tree. <laughs> yeah. That solved all my problems. Thank right, that, that kind <laughs> of stuff. Thank you. If a dog and a fish fall in love, where are they going to make a home? Oh my God. <laughs> the the cornflakes yeah. one is absolute madness. <laughs> I love the cornflakes. Corn she just talks about cornflakes right. for like right. minutes and minutes on end, and right. you cannot make sense right. of it. Well, she's telling really James Wood like about how he keeps dating women that are essentially the same in the inside. But yeah, it's like you buy a can of peas and then you open it up, <laughs> and what you got inside? More cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone called her out on one of her like southern truisms and asked her to explain the metaphor. Yeah, she just got in the weeds and could not work her way out. Yeah. So she gets it. Um, she becomes very popular on this radio station, and the producer. The plot of this movie sucks. It's just stupid <laughs> because, like, the whole conflict is like, he's like, "Well, you're a doctor. We got to call you a doctor because if you're going to give advice, you have to be a doctor." So she's kind of covering up the fact that she's not a real doctor, but she's claiming to be a doctor and giving people advice on the air. Meanwhile, James Woods, as this like investigative journalist, is initially trying to uncover the secret. Like she's not really a doctor, but he falls in love with her very soon after. And essentially, the film is a lot of. It's very much like a sitcom kind of setup. Came out a year before Frasier. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it is very much like Frasier. Yeah, Southern Fried Frasier. Yeah, and I guess the appeal of the movie is. Of all the movies we've talked about, it features Dolly Parton the most. I mean, I think she's in every single scene. She has the most needle drops, too. Like, there's a new Dolly song, like, every yeah. 30 seconds. She, like, wrote 10 songs for this movie. I Yeah. yeah. That kind of carried it for me. It was like, even when the jokes weren't funny, I was like, there's another Dolly Parton song coming up in 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I can make it. It's Dolly <laughs> carried this fucking movie on yeah. her back because James Woods gave nothing. A right. So, I think the thing that we have to talk about, which y'all have already got at is like we were talking about you know the whorehouse in texas with the chemistry with her and burt reynolds it's maybe not like palpable sexual energy but they have a charisma together yeah, it's cute True. it's cute and then seeing her pair with james <laughs> fucking woods wow what an asshole not every a role right <laughs> he's good at playing a certain kind of asshole but he is not a leading man and this is not a very funny movie. It's like sitcom schlock. And the only redeeming quality, like you said, is Dolly Parton and the songs. 
But as far as the central chemistry with her and James Woods, it ain't there. No. And it's really kind of cringy to watch. You're not wrong, but like there's so much Dolly Parton and I yeah. love her. <laughs> yeah. So I think ultimately that's what I yeah. struggle with with this movie. It's like you get a lot of Dolly Parton. You get a lot of Dolly Parton with her like Southern truisms, which are funny in their own right. You get a lot of Dolly Parton songs. Her hair's never been bigger. And I think <laughs> of true. every of everything we watch, this is the most testament to her as just a presence where any other actress could take this material and it would be the yeah. worst thing you've ever had to sit through. And yet, because it's Dolly Parton, it's tolerable. It wasn't good. I didn't like this movie really, but I tolerated it because Dolly Parton yeah. was in it. And that to me says a lot about her as a presence on camera. True. Very it would true. be unwatchable yeah. for me. Yeah. Anybody her. else. It's yeah. unwatchable garbage. This is one of the Especially only- with James Woods. Right. This is one of the only movies where like in the very beginning they have one of those like will they won't they kiss scenes where they're like leaning in and then something interrupts them and I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to see about, that. I had a question about that scene. Do y'all know about the Dave Matthews bridge incident in Chicago? Yes. With Do you think the, that was the same bridge? With the shit? <laughs> yeah. Brandon. Oh. I thought about that. Okay, great, great, great. When she was like <laughs> slipping, I was like, did Dolly Parton's character like almost fall of the same bridge that like a bunch of sewage from Dave Matthews Band's <laughs> bus? Are y'all aware of this? Over? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No. I have. I'm not this. actually. Their so. tour bus illegally dumped all of the like sewage from their bus into the like river on like a Chicago oh, bridge. Sick. But there was a, a group on a boat that was yeah, under the bridge and under. all like the piss and shit fell on. Oh fuck! <laughs> That's all Nasty. I can think about during their like big bridge scenes, which is like the romantic. And like, somewhere in the, the sewage and. That river was um, a t- couple twenty dollars. I will. I will say I loved. I howled laughing at the very end, the bridge scene, <laughs> where like the, the whole funks. thing is, you know, the city of Chicago really loves her, and she like gets you know fired because she's not a real doctor, but they want her back because who cares? Like she it's gives Dolly great Parton. advice, and they're like. Everyone honk at midnight. That's how you. That's how she's gonna know that you love her, right? And so, like, it happens. Like, everyone's honking. Her and James Woods have this like, will they, won't they thing, and she walks away. And his like big operatic like I love you moment is to honk his horn to lay it in, right? Real thick. <laughs> and she turn, <laughs> he turns around and like that's the moment. Like, ah, oh, James Woods. God, he really me. loves Who's me. Ever he really like honked his horn. Horn honking and not thought like, fuck you too, buddy. Oh yeah, exactly. That's like the She's first like, thought. Yeah, but he's laying it. Um. <laughs> Two strong honks from James Woods. Wow. If it hasn't been done, I would love to design a bumper sticker that says honk for Dr. Shirley. Mm. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. That's a reference for a three people. <laughs> <laughs> three people. Only we'll get it. I was thinking about this movie in relation to Jerry Springer passing away kind of okay i don't it does seem in that time period of like the shock oh, yeah. jocks like the howard stearns of the world was dr laura the one that dr was, like, laura, dr laura which, schlesinger yeah. she's yeah. such an ass right <laughs> the political message of this movie was interesting in relation to all the other ones like i agree with the kind of pro-union nine to five i agree with the sex politics of whorehouse in texas but in this one it was kind of like why do you need a PhD to give advice? You can just give good old Southern truisms and 
that is why we have Dr. Phil's and Dr. Oz's and people (laughs) who are not qualified to actually, like we need real psychiatrists and psychologists giving advice, not just like laymen. Like a celebrity. So I didn't really agree with like what the film seemed to be saying, even if, you know, Dolly Parton can give me advice all day. She felt like Truvy in here. Like, yeah, this was Truvy's beauty salon where you stop in to get advice. Yeah. And like, I feel like you can have multiple sources for those different types of like guidance. Um, and, but this movie really, really railed on the profession of like psychiatry and which, you know, can be critiqued, but there's this like, um, showdown between her and this other like radio psychiatrist. Right, right. He's like, he's like, I went to Harvard. And then, um, they have like a advice off with this woman who's like, she's like, oh, my husband is cheating on me. And, the Harvard-educated uh, psychiatrist is like, or psychologist says, "Have you considered that it might be your fault? <laughs> like, yeah, maybe you're just like not, not uh, doing it for him, right?" So it's just like, like really hammering in on the like this kind of common sense advice is the should be the backbone of your life. But then eventually she she's like. You have to do what's in your heart. Like but, that's but Dolly's advice or Shirley's advice in this movie seems to always be like, "You do you, right? You go, girl. <laughs> you have to hunk. be fabulous. And Leave if he man. like is gonna come after you, let him yeah. like, pursue you. That's legit advice, though. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. sure, it is. <laughs> but it's not advice that an actual yeah. like, no. psychologist or therapist would give you. Yeah, this. I mean, the plot is just absolutely nonsense. First of all, the idea that like they would refuse to employ this woman who's bringing in all of these ratings unless she was a doctor. Doc- like yeah. that—that's th- crazy. That There's no way. Made no sense. Right. And then like anybody that was fooled into thinking that she, I mean she basically does give the same advice every time and it's very much couched in this like like these common sense metaphors so I mean yeah it just doesn't make any sense isn't it like where she kind of questions what she's been doing and feels really awful is when that woman's like yeah, yeah I'm a recovering alcoholic that was- and my kids got taken away from yeah. me and my husband left Thanks. Yeah. That was the most legitimately like dramatic scene in the entire yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. Where I was like, oh yeah, it's actually questioning the ethics of giving advice in like a five minute right. blurb. I mean, I think the thing is it like dips into that for a second of like, like, yeah. is this ethical? Like you yes. don't know you don't understand the problems of these people. They're calling in for five minutes and they're giving you like a curated version of what their problem is. And then she leaves voluntarily, but it's like, oh no, all these people say you have helped them. So yeah. you should come back. So which kind of like undercuts that message a little. I don't know. Th- this movie wasn't trying to be a hard hitting. Yeah. The James Woods conflict is like not very compelling either, where he's like going to expose her in the newspaper is like not a doctor. Right. I love that he's like going to expose her. And then after one date, he's like, oh, she's Dolly Parton. I fucking love uh, her. She's right. amazing. <laughs> also, like, I love the pandering of giving him a job at the Chicago Sun Times when like Roger Ebert was the most famous film critic oh in my the God. world. Yeah, he gave the movie two out of four stars, so it didn't work. But it was some pretty like expert pandering. Yeah, I think. Uh, please. <laughs> and you know what else is great pandering? Just jamming that soundtrack full of Dolly Parton yeah. songs. Like I was just smiling every yeah. two scenes, even though the movie was not very good. Five musical montages. Uh, 
Okay, you know when I knew we were in trouble, though? Yes. Uh, <laughs> immediately. Uh, <laughs> the opening sequence, like for the credits, is like scenes they cut out of the movie for time oh, and God. speed up yeah. while the credits play over like a Dolly Parton song <laughs> and like a montage of her working at the dance studio. So it's like they cut out like 10, 15 minutes of like fat at the like start of the film and we're like salvaging that, that stuff that like for opening <laughs> footage. Like, so bad. That was like a sign of terrible quality. I have to. I have to give a shout out to myself. Yes, because <laughs> at the beginning of this movie, there was a montage at the very beginning. I was like, I told Hannah. Yep. I was like, Hannah, I am willing to bet this is the type of movie we're going to see at least five montages. And I kept count. There were <laughs> exactly five, five montages, oh and I was so happy when that fifth one mm-hmm. kicked. I was like. Fuck yes! <laughs> I knew there was going to be five. There, it was like every twenty minutes yeah. there was a montage. Your expertise is validated right there. <laughs> so happy. nice. Do you think we would have been more enthusiastic about nine to five if it had more montages? I don't know. I like I like a good montage. Yeah, I like yeah. Those felt great. Yeah, and they're a great excuse for a Dolly Parton music video in the middle of your like <laughs> mediocre movie. Yeah, just yes. let me look at Dolly Parton while I'm listening to <laughs> and Dolly then Parton. Music shines. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would say the same thing about the uh, Dolly Parton documentary I watched on Netflix last night. Not very good, but like I was looking at Dolly Parton the whole time. Yeah. I had a smile on my face. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There's a baseline level of entertainment that will be achieved it, by Dolly yeah, Parton. Like I would say, in a weird way, this made me appreciate her the most Yeah, as an on-screen yeah. or just as a person that she could carry this slop. She can turn <laughs> shit into gold. Yeah. And it Period. seems like after this, she kind of had accomplished what she wanted out of like mm-hmm. mainstream theatrical movies and is like, well, I'm famous now. I can go back to like writing songs like a fucking mad woman and like yeah. just cranking them out. She did kind of have like another, I think like her last like big, big movie before Joyful Noise was in 94, I think, Unlikely Angel. I've never heard of that one. It's a family who like loses the like the mom dies and she's like the angel stepmother that comes <gasps> in. That was theatrical and not like a TV movie? I want to say it was theatrical, wow. if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. It's on Hoopla. <laughs> of course oh, it is. Nice. <laughs> and probably Pure Flicks as well, just like straight Ooh. talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie she did most recently was like a Christian movie, right? The Joyful Noise? Joyful Noise. With Queen is, Latifah? Is that not a... That seemed like a right, yeah. more right wing. It is. Ki- yeah. It's like if it was um, like Battle of the Bands, but for like religious choir music. Oh, it's like Sister Act 2. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's also gotten into the uh, straight to Netflix Christmas movie market. Yeah. Channel. Yeah. That's some pretty like show. reliable schlock right there. They're good. They're cozy to watch yeah. in mm-hmm. the holidays. Coat of many colors. Don't sleep on it. Ugh. Uh, we also skipped Rhinestone, which I think is the other oh, like yeah. big, maybe her biggest failure, but like another big movie mm-hmm. uh, from this era. Very entertaining. That failure, was probably though. like a post nine to five, right? Yeah. That's like before. Yeah unfortunately very hard to find we we almost watched it on vhs it was gonna get to the point where britney had the vhs james and hannah had the vhs player and i had the tv and we couldn't get all the three parts <laughs> right. together in the same place i i still have it i have the source i just need the appropriate channel to put it in future episodes that's right we weren't doing sylvester stallone classics oh i would we'll love that to this topic <laughs> but uh generally i don't know that i walked into this and away from this with like more dolly parton appreciation I guess my biggest take is just, I think, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas is like the Dolly Parton movie in my mm-hmm. mind now. I had more of an appreciation just because I hadn't seen 9 to 5 or 
little whorehouse. In Those Texas. are pretty big. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh shit. Yeah, she's a star. Yeah. She's got this like, of course, more appreciation for her and her her art, but she's even more of a mystery. Like throughout all these movies, she has the same accent, but she's from Texas, right. Louisiana, <laughs> Arkansas, and wherever the hell nine to five is. Like she carries the same accent, but it doesn't mess anything up. Like yeah. you don't, you're like, okay, this rocks. She's the same sort of like the core of her character is similar. And like, she's gorgeous. She has the gigantic breasts. She yeah. dresses, you know, where, the, you know, she totally flaunts them, rightly so. But there's something about her where it's like, I don't want to say she's not a sex icon, but it's like there's something that I don't know how she does it. She's like very maternal. Yes. To me. Like, like it's your aunt, your mom. Yeah, that's, very nurturing. You know, yes. Yeah. Where it's like she's not sexy in these roles with these like men and, the, you know, like the chemistry. We did, I mean, her and Burt Reynolds, yes. But I don't know. I can't picture her being in a movie where she's, I don't know. It's almost asexual and like, a pop art icon kind of way where like yeah. I would compare her to Elvira or yes. Pee Wee Herman yeah. or Mr. T or something like that. Like I they're like just it. this like cartoon character that is like fully formed and plopped into these like quote unquote real scenarios. Like she's like from another planet from the rest yes. of us. Yeah. I definitely walked away with more Dolly appreciation. Like in Minnesota, it's a, it's very like, repressive community and like very it can be very isolating and like very closed off and kind of like clicky and dolly parton in steel magnolias and in general is such a like loving welcoming warm woman who is like grounded in christianity but in a real authentic way where she is like just seems like a genuinely loving person to all people. And I don't know, I just felt so comforted by her in all of these movies. Like it just, she feels like the kind of person that she is in Steel Magnolias where like, I was like forming a parasocial relationship with her of like, oh, Dolly, like, yeah, tell me that I, you know, I can honk my own horn, you know? (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like she's such a like loving icon to be integrated into our culture like i'm just very glad that she exists and she is the person that she is even if it is like a constructed identity in a better america this is what like christian conservatism would actually yeah it should be yeah yeah this is what like jesus actually would behave like right which True. is like one of the Practice best parts of preach. Best Little Whorehouse is when they're like staring at the stars as if they're stoned and like just kind of bullshitting about aliens and Jesus for like mm-hmm. three minutes. <laughs> I love that scene. That yeah. scene is not in a rush to get anywhere and yet it is everything. Yep. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, next episode, we're actually celebrating another uh, woman that everyone loves, uh, Michelle Yeoh. Oh, we're awesome. talking about Yes, Madam, which is a movie she did with Cynthia Rothrock that is currently on Criterion Channel as part of their whole Michelle Yeoh mm-hmm. celebration collection. Um, I think they added after everything everywhere won yeah. the Oscar and all yeah. that stuff. So I have only seen the heroic trio and maybe Crouching Tiger from that collection. So I'm I'm happy to expand that knowledge because she's great and everything I've seen her in as well. Yeah, very different from Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that. Give me some straight talk, straight talk, and hold the sugar, please. Straight talk, straight talk, sounds plenty sweet to me. Don't 
Mischief.